Amen. So uh, I may or may not have been in or around a giant water park this week. Um, you're not exactly supposed to do that a whole lot nowadays, but uh, I may or may not have been. And I couldn't help but notice that the amount of water that is pumped through these water parks is insane. Uh, you know, I'm thinking there has got to be some giant pumps of an irrigation size, you know, magnitude that is just pumping water down tubes to shoot people out at about 50 miles an hour or something like that, right? Those of you that have been to water parks, you've, you've seen it. And, uh, you know, the Lord is going to speak in John chapter 7 about that type of water pumping, that type of movement in someone's life that thrusts them, that propels them towards obedience, towards love, towards usefulness. And Jesus speak towards some, speaks towards something like that here in John chapter 7, verse 37 through 53. He invites everyone to be a part of this powerful thrust in their life. In this chapter, we're going to see an invitation that Christ gives. And in this invitation, there's three different things. Number one, there's a context to that invitation where we see in verse 37, the context is that on the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out saying, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Okay, so chapter 7 has already set this up for us that it's feast time. Specifically, one of three major feasts that the men of Israel were supposed to travel to Jerusalem to be a part of. This feast was called the Feast of Tabernacles or the Feast of Booths. And it was given to commemorate the time that the Lord led the children of Israel through the wilderness and they dwelt in booths or they dwelt in tents. Uh, it's also a signifier of God's faithfulness to provide a harvest and for God's faithfulness to provide food in the wilderness and God's faithfulness to bring water out of the rock in the wilderness. Uh, and so uh, historically, Jews would come from all over the, the region to Jerusalem to sacrifice and worship and pray and, uh, and enjoy fellowship with the Lord there. And if you were from out of town, you'd construct tents all around Jerusalem that you dwell in. And if you were from town, you'd go up on your rooftop, one of those flat Middle Eastern roofs, and you would build a little tent up there and, uh, and dwell in booths for a period of seven to eight days. And so we see here that it was on the last day, the great day of the feast, that Jesus stood up and would cry out what he's about to share with us. Um, you know, during this feast day, every day at a certain time of the day, one of the priests would go down to the pool of Bethesda and he would uh, scoop up with a golden bowl water and then he would carry that in a great procession back to the altar of the Lord. He would walk around the altar seven times as a symbol of God's victory over Jericho and then they would pour that water into the different uh, receptacles that were needed there uh, for the sacrifices. Uh, and it was believed that on the eighth day, kind of the, the day finalizing this great feast, that there was no marching with the golden water vessel. And that it was during this eighth day that Jesus stood up to speak to hearts that had been thinking every day of the week about water, water from the rock and God's provision to quench the thirst of the people. 
You can read about this, and for the sake of time, uh, we'll just kind of have you put it in your notes. You can read about it in Leviticus 23, 33, Nehemiah chapter 8. We also see that this feast was observed there, as well as other places like Deuteronomy 16, Nehemiah chapter 8. But I want to note the context here of the significance of the last day, or maybe your Bible says the great day or the greatest day of the feast. Nehemiah chapter 8 verse 18, when Nehemiah commemorated this feast, it says day by day from the first day until the last day, he read from the book of the law of God and they kept the feast seven days and on the eighth day there was a sacred assembly according to the prescribed manner. So this gives us a little idea of every day there was this faithful meeting during the feast and on uh, up to the eighth day, this sacred assembly uh, took place. The sacred assembly showed a dependence on a water metaphor. It showed that there was importance in this water pouring rite, if you will, that the people's hearts were tuned towards needing water, needing life, needing saturation. And even to the Jews, it had this foretaste of an end times promise from Ezekiel and Zechariah where rivers of living water would flow out of the temple in Jerusalem and pour out to the rest of the world. And so there was something special about the last day of the feast. I know for me, I, uh, I love these types of feast days that we do as a church, such as the fast. Uh, you know, it's said that the, that the biblical gospel-centered churches know when to feast and they know when to fast. And we do both here at this church. I mean, we have a joke that we don't meet unless we eat. Uh, we do a lot of eating at the church. We've got two kitchens here. And, uh, uh, but we also take that time as a church from time to time to fast as well. We also do things like have men's musters and men's retreats and gatherings and men's breakfast where we set aside time as men to seek the Lord and, and cry out for Him in our life. Women, same thing, women's retreats, women's banquets, women's teas and, and Christmas get-togethers and things like that. And, uh, and it, for me, I used to be a high school pastor for about eight and a half years. Uh, I ministered to specifically high school teenagers, and I would put on two big camps every year. One of them was in the summertime at Lake Bradley in Bandon, Oregon on the coast. And we had about a 230 people come from around the state, 230 high school kids, and we would get together, and we would just seek the Lord and worship Him, and He would move in power in our midst. And I'm telling you, every year for the five days, it was that last day when the Lord really moved in power. It was like that whole five days had taken place where we were seeking the Lord, seeking the Lord, crying out for Him, and just kind of like everything was just being prepared for what the Lord was going to do on that uh, last day when the Lord would, would just move in a powerful way. And it seems like this last day, this great day, the greatest day of the feast, was a very powerful day that the Lord moved and spoke <clears throat> as well. There is not only an important context with this feast concerning the invitation that Jesus is going to give, but there was important content, great content of the invitation. And Jesus stood up there, it says in verse 37, and he cried out. He shouted, the language speaks of, or he screamed. 
David Guzik says that this was going to be a very important announcement because of where he said it. That he said it standing in the temple courts, right outside the temple itself. The place where Ezekiel would see a vision of living water coming out of the throne of God in the temple and spreading to the rest of the world. Guzik said it was important because of when he said it. The last day of the tabernacle's feast, after water had been poured out all the previous days, that it was important because how he said it, crying out, even shouting or screaming, as opposed to the general tone that Jesus usually had, according to Isaiah 42.2, he would not cry out, nor raise his voice, nor cause his voice to be heard in the street. street. Jesus was typically pretty gentle, mild-mannered in the way that he would communicate and teach. And so as Guzik concludes saying, the celebration of the Feast of Tabernacles emphasized how God had provided water to Israel in the wilderness on their way to Canaan. So Jesus is boldly going to call people to himself here to drink and satisfy their deepest desires, their spiritual thirst. So he stands up on this last day of the feast and he cries out and he shouts out there on the Temple Mount, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. This phrase, if anyone, is very encouraging to us here in this room. Because the invitation is broad. It essentially says, if you thirst. uh, Not dependent upon your intelligence, or your race, or social class, or standing. Not dependent on your nationality, or the political party you associate with. None of those things limit that there is a a water that's available for you today if you thirst. But first you must see your need. You must recognize that you're thirsty. That there's a longing within you for something that nothing in this world can provide. As Pascal said, there's a God-shaped hole in the heart of every human being that only God can fill. And you've got to understand that there's something, there's a longing deep within that every substance, every luxury, every pleasure, every person, place, or thing that you've ever tried to fill in that, it always fades away. It never is enough. And you realize there's got to be something more. There's a longing. There's a dryness in you. The word thirst, coincidentally, it's the Greek word dips. Dipsa, and I just think of, oh, just to dip, uh, you know, a cup into a, an, into a brook or a stream and, and to drink, to be thirsty. I just long to dipsa something, right? Uh, to desire strongly. In the Greek language, it speaks of that there's a dryness in you. Just dry. To me, there's nothing worse than when you're working hard and it's hot out and just you are parched in the mouth. That you can't, you got nothing to swallow. As Jesus says, you know, my tongue clings to my jaw. The psalmist prophesies of Jesus. I remember when my dad had had a stroke and was in the hospital and, and had lost his swallowing reflex. And so he couldn't drink water. One of the greatest agonies that he had was that he was thirsty. He just longed to swallow something. And so we'd be given these little sponge popsicles that kind of had some sort of flavor to them. And you'd kind of rub it around his mouth so that he'd have some sort of salivary saliva, uh, just uh, 
you know, reflex there in his mouth. And, and, uh, and so many of you have experienced that. If you're a Three Amigos fan, you know I love the three guys are hanging out in the desert riding on their horses. And, you know, one guy doesn't have any water in his canteen. The other guy pulls his canteen back and just sand falls out all over his face. And then the third guy's got his canteen full of water. He's just glugging and chugging and pouring it all over his face. And then he just tosses it off to the side for it to pour out. And you got no, some blank stares. Some guys totally know what I'm talking about. So uh, I neither condemn nor condone watching the three amigos or going to water parks in this season. Okay. <clears throat> Tough crowd today, Travis. Like this guy's involved in some crazy stuff. But if you're honest with yourself, the the Lord has been showing you that nothing in this world can satisfy your parched condition. And so Jesus is calling out to you in your place of thirstiness what Isaiah prophesied in Isaiah 55.1 where he says, Ho! Everyone who thirsts Come to the waters. And you who have no money, come and buy and eat. Yes, come and buy without money. You say, I don't have any money. That's okay. Come and buy it without money. It's called free. It's without price. Verse 2 of Isaiah 55. Why do you spend money for that which is not bread and your wages for that which is not satisfied? You're giving of all your time, your money, your energy, your passions to something that's never going to fill that void, never going to satisfy. Why are you doing that? And then Isaiah says, listen carefully to me. Are you guys listening carefully today? Eat what is good or drink what is good and let your soul delight itself in abundance. And then down in Isaiah 55, 6, he says, seek the Lord while he may be found. And call upon him while he's near. So today, you might be noticing there's something in you that, yes, Rory, you're right. I do have a longing in me that nothing's been able to fill. I do have a dehydration or a dryness about me that it's causing me to long to drink of something that will satisfy eternally, not just temporarily. And is this an okay time? You guys have to wait till after the sermon, though, to go get your water. Okay. So if Isaiah could invite the thirsty to come and drink from the waters in Isaiah 55.1, Jesus announces that he is the one who can provide the waters. As Matthew 5.6 says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be Filled. And that's a bit of what we do in our week of prayer and fasting. We don't just say that we hunger and thirst for the Lord. We show that we are hungry and thirsty for the Lord. And as much as my belly longs for a bacon cheeseburger, as much as I long for caffeine or for a Starbucks or something like that, I long even more for you to work in my life and to change my heart and deliver me from this bondage and give me vision and direction. Help me to lead my family and be moving in our church in power and save the lost in our community and work in our country and heal our nation in the time of this pandemic and you know just do a work that no man or politician can do. That's how desperate I am, Lord. And Jesus says, ah, blessed are you if you're hungering and thirsting for that. You will be filled. 
And we go, of course, if you've been a part of our studies in John the last number of months, to John chapter 4, verse 10, the woman at the well. Jesus meets this woman at the well and says to her, if you knew the gift of God and who it was who says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. And then if you jump down to verse 13, John 4, 13, Jesus answers and says to the woman at the well, whoever drinks of this water will thirst again. Whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst, but the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. I think that that's pointing towards this John 7 passage where we're going to see about waters flowing out from the heart of people who come to Jesus. Not only is there a flowing out, but there is a springing up into everlasting life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water that I may not thirst nor come here to draw. Something beautiful about a spring of water, isn't there? When I was 14 years old, I went on my first backpacking trip with my high school group. Uh, I was in high school. I wasn't the leader at this time. And uh, so it was my first backpacking trip. I knew nothing about backpacking. I got the biggest backpack I could find because that meant I was a big man, you know. And I just loaded this with everything that you would ever want on an epic packing trip, okay? I'm telling you guys, I did not make it a half an hour before I was ready to be done and head back to the car. I was exhausted and all my friends were way above, way, way ahead of me. I was so slow, so slow. There were all these forks in the trail. I had no idea to go and I was just, and I, I hated hiking after that. It's a miracle that I go to Nepal on a yearly basis to trek in the Himalayas because I hated hiking until t- 2014 thanks to this high school trip. And so you know, I thought I was just a total champ and I had two gallons of water that I was packing for the week, you know. I drank all the water before we reached our campsite. All the water is gone for our week. I have no idea how to filter water. I don't know, like I'm going to die essentially is what's going to happen. And I get separated from my group. I'm out of water. I'm super thirsty. But I thought I heard uh, one of our group members often down in this ravine. Spoiler alert, there were no, none of our group members were down in this ravine, right? <laughs> I'm like, there's one guy with me. We were, the, we were that guy, those guys. Okay, I'm like, there's someone down there. They know, okay, I'm going to go down there. So I took my logging tape that my dad taught me to pack and tie around trees so I don't get lost. I had them every five feet. <laughs> you know? <laughs> and I get to the bottom of this ravine and I find a bubbling brook. It was incredible. There's, it's just bubbling up out of the ground, and I'm like, I don't know much about Giardia or Beaver Fever, but this looks pretty clean. And so I stuck my milk jugs down in there, and I drank, and I went back. And as I get back to the trail, the rest of the group is bounding down the trail to us, and they've all got empty water containers. They've all drank their water, and uh, you guys, the binders and Shiloh are like, this guy. <laughs> you know how it is, Shiloh. You and me, we're the same. Okay. <laughs> And, uh, and it, they were all out of water, and I said, follow the yellow brick road down to the spring, and that provided us fresh water for these five days of camping that we were on. The next year we went back, there was no spring there. So it was just an incredible provision of the Lord for a bunch of guys that were like, let's go seek the Lord in the mountains. You know. So you've got to love these 
springs of water that, that bring life, right? That satisfy your parched and weary soul. Revelation 21.6 says, uh, the latter part of the Bible, that Jesus said to John, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, and I will give the fountain of water of life freely to him who thirsts. But no, it's the same thing Jesus said in John 7, if anyone thirsts. And we live in a day and age where we are self-made men and women. I can make it on my own. I don't need nothing or no one. You know, I'm a, I've got work ethic and I'm red-blooded and, I'm, you know, I don't know if there's any other kinds of blo- colors of blood out there, but red-blooded for sure, you know, and, uh, and the Lord is like, you have got to humble yourself like a little child and come to me and tell me how thirsty you are. You've got to recognize your need and your depth of bankruptcy and poverty and come to the Lord and cry out for his riches. In Revelation twenty two seventeen, also at the end of the Bible, the spirit and the bride say, come and let him who hears say, come and let him who thirsts come. Whoever desires, let him take the water of life freely. So there's this beautiful metaphor in the scriptures of just people who realize I got nothing. I've got nothing. I have tried and I have failed. I haven't tried and I've failed. I've looked for other things and they've failed. And I realize that I'm in a dry and weary land running out of water and I am deeply in need. And so Jesus says, whoever thirsts, come on over. Come on over. Isn't that a great invitation? There's something about an invitation. You have been invited. Anyone who thirsts, come. Well, how do I know if I've been invited? You're thirsty. Come. If you're like, it's like, clearly you don't even want to be a part of the party. Okay? But when you realize your depth of need, you see that invitation coming in the mail to come and to drink, and you say, RSVP, party of two, please. Or however many people are in your family. Just invite everybody. Nick, you got some kids, right? Okay, bring them on over. And so there's this concept that this invitation conveys. There's context. There's content of the invitation. And here's the concept of the invitation. Verse 38, he who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. So how do you drink of this water? Or if you want to go back to chapter 6, How do you eat of the bread of life? Or if you want to go back to chapter 3, how are you born again? These are all pictures that the Lord has used. Believe. You believe, you trust, and you rest in the Lord. This is how you eat of the bread. This is how you drink of the water. This is how you receive quenching for your thirst and for your hunger. Believe in Jesus. Lay aside your preconceived notions and ideas and how you think life should be lived and how you should find fullness of life in your ways and realize that your ways are not the way. His way is the way. His way is the truth. His way is the life. Lay down your presupposed biases and ideas and plans and dreams and hopes and give them to the Lord and say, Lord, what are your plans and hopes and dreams and standards. I want your ways. I say yes to you, Jesus. I say amen to you, Jesus. I say you are right and you are true. Whoever believes in me, 
will receive this quenching. Charles Spurgeon said, Then you are told to drink. That is not a difficult action. Any fool can drink. In fact, many are great fools because they drink too much of poisonous liquors. Drinking is peculiarly the commonplace act of sinners. I like that. Anybody can drink. Anyone thirsty out there? Well, you know the action. Start slurping away. Come to the Lord and receive the fountain of living waters. It says, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. There's a bit that could be say there. It's scripture that could be cited that show the entire groundwork of this matrix of thought found in verses 37 and 38. It's not necessarily specifically. You could go back and look for a, a, a scripture concerning water coming out of your heart, but it is in context to everything that was going on about the tabernacle and everything that the prophets had said would happen in the new age, the age of grace, the age of the spirit. But the tabernacle feast looked forward to the prophecies of waters flowing from the throne, and you've got to remember that in context here. There's also other scriptures that point to this, like Isaiah chapter 12, verse 3. It says, therefore, with joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation. Use your imagination right now. What does it look like to draw water with joy? It's not like hanging out at the well, bringing up the bucket. There's a hole in my bucket. There lies a, you know. No, if you're coming with joy to draw water, you're like, You know, something like that. With joy you will draw waters from the wells of salvation. I think it's a lot like that. I think when we realize the depth of forgiveness that we've been forgiven for all of our sins, it's just a lot more like, woohoo! There's joy, just cheering and rejoicing and just party. We've been saved. That void that was in me is gone and it's filled up with something that just saturates in a way nothing could ever touch that or isaiah 43 verse 20 through 21 the beasts of the field will honor me the jackals and the ostriches because i give waters in the wilderness and rivers in the desert to give drink to my people my chosen this people I formed for myself, they shall declare my praise. And by the gospel, we Gentiles, we non-Jews from Oregon and wherever else, we're grafted into this promise. We get to be a part of this promise that we are the chosen people of God who are given drink in the gospel. The Lord formed us for himself. We get to declare his praise because he saturates our thirst. Or Isaiah 44, 3. For I will pour water on him who's thirsty. Just picture that. It's not just like, oh, drinking. It's like it's pouring on you and you get to drink it while it's pouring. You know, just, just completely filling. And I flood the dry ground. I will pour my spirit on your descendants and my blessing on your offspring. There's this prayer even for our children and our families, our heritage 
uh, our offspring, that they would also get to have this promise, as the book of Acts says, that this promise is for you and your children and all who are afar off. And so the scriptures point to this. Jesus just isn't coming up with just any crazy metaphor that he can to kind of make a point. No, he's pointing to the context of everything that's going on during the feast around him, and he's pointing to the longing of people's hearts as they were remembering the rock coming out of, or the water coming out of the rock in the wilderness. And he's bringing them to the scriptures that speak of this drawing joyfully from the wells of salvation. And then he says, it was the scriptures that pointed to this, that out of his heart, which speaks of the faculty of desire, your deep inward person, speaks of your physical desires, out of this, in the Greek it says, it speaks of out of your belly, or from your inmost being, your innermost being. The center of human personality. The NIV says, whoever believes in me, as scripture says, rivers of living water will flow from within him. What will flow from within and flow out of us? So much has gone in that now it flows out living water. I wrote down the Greek. It's hydatos zontos. And it's totally being butchered by me right here. But you get it, right? Hydro, hydantos, zontos, or zeo, speaking of life. Out of you will flow rivers of living water. You know... When you go to Israel, you get to go to a place called the Dead Sea. I've been there a couple times, and uh, it's incredible. It's 30 times more salty than the ocean. And you go there, it's the lowest place on earth, and they take the mud and they use it for all kinds of great skin products, skin care. Um, when you go into the Dead Sea, it, it feels like baby oil, the actual water, and you just rub it all over your face and you take pictures with your buddies with this mud all over you. And it's so salty, nothing can live in it. And you go out in it and you float. It's impossible to sink in, uh, in the Dead Sea. And, uh, and so the thing about the Dead Sea, though, that what's believed to make it so dead and salty, is that the Jordan River flows full of life into this sea, but there's no exit for this water. So it just kind of gets stagnant like a giant pond and brings death. And so the idea in the scripture is that we need to not only be filled up, but now we need to be pouring out into this dark world that we're in. And that we get to be those that not only are saturated ourselves and filled up ourselves, that we don't thirst anymore, but now it goes out of our belly, out of our hearts, out of the center of our desires, out into this world so that other people want what we have and they are thirsty as well. Out of you will flow rivers of living water. It's been said that all Christians should be leaky. We should all be leaky. And last night we were at the Pulse prayer meeting and we were praying over our church and we were just praying that God would show you your thirst. He would show you your need for saturation. He would show you your dryness. But that also then that you would cry out to him in your thirst to be filled with his river. And as we were praying, one of the gals at the prayer meeting prayed out. And I just kind of wrote down what she said. She prayed about how when one is wet with water, it covers and touches your whole body. It just covers everything. You're just completely saturated. 
And, you know, when you get out of the pool or you get out of the river, everywhere you walk, you leave evidence that you're wet. Everywhere you walk, there's footprints. And it's on your clothes. You sit down. You leave it there. You touch something. You leave a watermark. And that's the case for the Christian in the age that John is speaking of. Is that we are so filled with what God wants to give us that everywhere we go, we leave a mark. Every go we're, everywhere we go, we're leaky. Yesterday I was working out down in my little workout area in my basement and I had a vest on and I was on a stair machine and I got off and I put my vest up and I look like a little bit behind my stair machine and there's like water on the ground. It's a couple like blops or drops, you know, but good size. And I'm like, I mean, I'm like hot and sweaty, but I'm not like dripping all over the place, you know, and so... Like, Lindsay, she was working out over there. Did you come over here? And are you really sweaty? Or, you know, what's going on? I have no idea where this water... There was, like, water on the ground, and I don't know where it came from. And, uh, and it's just... But it's a picture of, hey, you know, wherever we go, we're just leaving water on the... Oh, hey. Um, don't really leave water on the ground. It's creepy, and people kind of have an idea where it came from. Clean <laughs> <laughs> up on aisle three. Okay. But that we would leave that mark. We would leave that um, evidence of the filling. And I'm, I'm kind of being vague here because I don't want to spoil. John is going to have a commentary for us on what this water even is. And what we would be leaking. What we would be leaving around as signs that we have been filled. And that's in verse 39. But this he spoke concerning the Spirit whom those believing in him would receive. For the Holy Spirit was not yet given because Jesus was not yet glorified. And so uh, the question is asked, what is Jesus talking about? All this thirsting, all of this living water, all this never thirsting again, all this rivers and torrents of living water. And John is just very helpful. This he spoke concerning the Spirit. Jesus likens the work of the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. He likens that work to just powerful, saturating, life-bringing water. Like a river of water coming through a dry and barren, weary land. It was Michaels who said that the image of streams of water from the believer's heart or belly places has an accent on the rich abundance of the Spirit's life and power in the heart of the believer, like a self-replenishing stream. It just continues to fill. And, and when you speak of the work of the Holy Spirit in the book of Acts, it speaks of continual filling. The tense is that just always filling, always flowing. And then it says there in verse 39 that the Holy Spirit is whom those believing in him would receive. So does this quenching of the thirst sound good to you today? How do you get this living water? How do you get the Holy Spirit? You believe. You entrust. You receive and take hold of and acquire Jesus. I acquire you, Jesus. I'm taking hold of you and your message of life to me. It's been said that the individual who drinks is the individual who believes. And the individual who believes is the individual who drinks. 
So what is all this living water? It's the Holy Spirit that is given to those who believe. Now there's this interesting commentary there that it's almost a side note by John that the Holy Spirit was not yet given because Jesus was not yet glorified. And so some of you might be like, what do you mean the Holy Spirit wasn't given? Like, wasn't Samson like had the Holy Spirit and he grabbed the jawbone of a donkey and he just killed a bunch of people? It says that. But we're going to be talking about a new age. We're going to be talking about the age of the Spirit. When you read the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit would come upon holy men, holy women, but it was a temporary thing. The new age, the age of the new covenant, anyone who believes would receive the Holy Spirit to have a continual, powerful, motivated life, living hard after the Lord and for the Lord. Translators added a little bit here to this, but most literally, it's translated, it was not yet spirit, or it was not yet the, um, uh, the, the, uh, the age of the spirit. And we live today in the New Testament age, we live in the age of the church and the age of the spirit. But up to the point that John refers to here, the Holy Spirit was not yet given in a full Christian sense of the term. Very quickly, just looking at Acts chapter 1, verses 4 and 5. It says Jesus is already resurrected after he was crucified. He's resurrected. He's been showing himself alive. Forty days he showed himself alive. Now he's just about to ascend. He's just about to be glorified. And he's just about to send the Holy Spirit that he spoke of here in John chapter 7. But Acts 1, 4 and 5 says... And they were assembled together with them. He commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you've heard from me, for John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And so this outpouring of the Holy Spirit that John speaks of is the day of Pentecost that Jesus speaks of in Acts chapter 1. It's something that Luke wrote of in Luke 24, 49. Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you are endued with power from on high. And so part of the Holy Spirit's work is He comes upon us, He endues us, and gives us power from on high. Jesus says we are to go and wait in Jerusalem. By we, I mean the disciples. Uh, go and wait in Jerusalem for the promise of the Father, which he said, you've heard from me. Jesus had spoke of this. He spoke of it in John 1.33. I did not know him, but he sent me to baptize with water. This is John the Baptist. He said to me, upon whom you see the Spirit descending and remaining on him, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And so John the Baptist knew of the Holy Spirit coming. And the baptism with the Holy Spirit. And so I think we're going to go ahead and take another week and we're going to look at this baptism with the Holy Spirit. We're going to look at what it looks like in a believer's life to have torrents of living water flowing out of you. Uh, spoiler alert, it's nothing weird and creepy other than how weird and creepy it is to open up our mouths and start telling people about Jesus. Right? So um, that's really like the big thing is that it gives us boldness. He gives us boldness and courage to tell people about Jesus in our community. And so as we have the uh, worship team come back up, we're prepared a little bit for um, 
looking at Acts, and the version in Acts of these torrents of living water coming out. But the main thing for today, I think that's just the word for us, is that we have been trying to fill the void in our hearts with every other person, place, thing, sensual desire, luxury, vacation, experience, adrenaline rush, you know, just sunset, gardening, you know, construction project, career choice, whatever. Like, you name it. Like, we take even really good things and we misuse them and turn them into idols and dishonor God with them. And those things never will fill that place in our heart that's crying out for Him. Why do we cry out for Him? Because we were made in His image. We were made with a purpose to be worshipers, uh, to find our delight in Him utmost and primarily. And whenever we begin to lose focus on a desire to honor and worship and obey Him, and we begin to worship just created things that creep and crawl and roll and drive and you know, everything else, uh, we've, we've de-godded God and we've begun to worship things that were never supposed to be gods, that can never do what God does. And every time we do that, we bring destruction into our lives and into our community. And there's got to be repentance for that. And so today we've got to come to the Lord and we've got to say, Lord, I find myself thirsty and I've been trying to fill that thirst with all kinds of other sugary drinks that aren't good for me. <laughs> and I need to just come to the water. I need to come to the fountain. I need to come to you who say, if I drink of you, I will never thirst again. Crystal Lewis is a singer who used to travel a lot with Greg Laurie with the Harvest Crusades. And I just remember from high school... She would sing a song at the Harvest Crusades, Evangelism Crusades. And the song just said, Come just as you are. Hear the Spirit call. Come just as you are. Come and see. Come receive. Come and live forever. There's life everlasting. And strength for today. Taste the living water and never thirst again. And so Jesus gave the invitation here in John 7, 37. There was context behind it that even the children of Israel long for water, Israel, because I'm going to bring it. Long for water, Prineville, because I will bring it. And so we would say as we close right now, Lord, I have been searching for the filling and the satisfaction from elsewhere. And your word today calls me to come and receive it from you. So today I want to invite you to come receive. And maybe you already have, you're a Christian, you've received the Holy Spirit, you're born again, 
It's a beautiful, wonderful thing. That's exactly what we're talking about here. But maybe in your Christianity you feel dry. Maybe you've quenched the Holy Spirit in your life with sin and laziness and disobedience. and There's just been a quenching of the Spirit. And today you would recognize that and you would say, Lord, come unblock the fountainhead and just let me drink of you again like I once did. Or maybe for you today, today is the first day that that spring is going to just bubble up out of you as you come to Jesus and you believe on Him. You would say amen to who Jesus is and His plan of forgiveness. Right now where you're at, just maybe in the quiet of your heart or maybe just the whisper under your breath, you would say, I'm coming to you, Jesus, today. I'm receiving you, Jesus, today. Believing on you, Jesus. Fill me up, overflowing. I drink of you today. Let me be a leaky Christian. Let me just leave evidence that I'm full of the Holy Spirit everywhere that I go. In my home, at my job, in my hobbies, my conversations with friends. I want to leave the watermark. We're going to just close with two songs today. And just today, if this is your first, just, just realizing that you need this living water, just invite you to stand. Or if you're coming back to just drinking of Jesus today, I invite you to stand during this song. As we sing about coming to Jesus and receiving the water. Stand as you know that's you and just... Let just your body reflect a posture of reception.